0: The following message is from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. For more information, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com. We're going to turn to our Bibles now. If you do not have a Bible, we have Bibles in the back that are uh, there for you to take and have. The verses will be on the screen behind me. Um, We are in the book of 1 Corinthians. If you uh, don't know where the book of 1 Corinthians is, um, 1 Corinthians is about... Uh, Let's see, I'm going to turn to my Bible about that far from the back. (laughs) So like 50, 50, 70 pages from the back of our Bibles. And we're going to be in the third chapter of the first book to the Corinthians. And we're going to be reading verses 10 through 17 in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I'm going to read these for us, and then we're going to pray, and then we're going to start looking at what God has for us in these verses together. According to the grace of God given to me, Like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else built upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest. For the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, And fire will test the work that anyone has built on the foundation. Sorry, let me go back. I skipped a verse here. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know... That you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you. If anyone destroys God's temple, he will des- God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Let's pray, Father. As we look at your word, I pray that you would help us as the place where you dwell to enjoy your presence among us, to be corrected and encouraged and strengthened this morning. I pray that you would fill our eyes and hearts with Jesus and that we would be a church that uses your grace in Jesus to build your house. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, I know that I got some people's attention with the title of the sermon, God Doesn't Airbnb His House. And some of you are very nervous that I'm going to be preaching against Airbnb. That's not the type of church we are, first of all. And I love Airbnb. So I don't know if you know what Airbnb is. Um, Airbnb is where you basically rent out your personal space like a personal hotel for somebody else to use it. Like that's basically what Airbnb is, right? It's an old style bed and breakfast, just your own house. And um, it's space that you let somebody else use. But the reason I brought this title to the sermon is because it, 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 um, the way we think about our homes as Americans um, is a little bit of a disconnect to uh, the way God thinks about His home. The way we think about our homes is like, um, they're kind of like semi-permanent locations that we can kind of give up whenever we want we can kind of move someplace else, right? Like who here, um, no matter how your ancestors came here, live in the hut or house that your parents, your forebears, built when they arrived here, like none of us do, right? None of us live uh, where, we, uh, where our generations passed, whether it's a thousand years or a hundred years live where our families are, were. Um, and for us as Americans, our homes are kind of something that we just kind of like pass on. Like, you know, we rent an apartment, Lord willing, we'll move out of it someday. <laughs> um, but we move on quickly. And when we talk about God's house or His home, I just wonder at times, like if we think about that as like, oh well, God's got a temporary house here, and He's got something better someplace else. Like He kind of like He rents out His house whenever it gets annoying or it's an inconvenient time of the year. <laughs> speaking of the snow, and He'd rather live in Florida rather than New Hampshire, right? On the one hand, God's everywhere, right? That's when we look at the Bible. God's everywhere; He lives everywhere; He is everywhere. Um, as, on the other hand, God has a specific place where He lives, right? A specific place where He manifests His presence. And God doesn't think about his home as a place that he will rent out. And that's kind of what's going on in this passage. Paul is looking at the church in Corinth and saying, God God lives here. God has a house here. And what does it mean for God to have a house and build a house? What does it mean for the church to be the place where God builds his place and lives there? Right? You see that verse 9 from last week when Jay was preaching for us in 1 Corinthians 3, right? It's very obvious. For you are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. God's building. It's right on the nose. There's not like any sort of like Bible mumbo jumbo that you have to go through to figure out. Like, oh, the church is God's house. It says you're built. He says you're you're God's building. Right. And then he goes through all these verses that we just read, lays a foundation. It's almost as though Paul were familiar with being a blue collar guy, right? <laughs> he knows what he knows how to how contractors work. You lay a foundation, you get the plumbing, you get the scaffolding, all that stuff going. Obviously, I'm not a contractor because I don't know what I'm talking about. And then he has verse verse seventeen. If anyone um, you are verse sixteen, you are God's temple, right? He is talking about God's house, a place where God lives. He is talking about God's house, and saying, this isn't like a temporary location. God has something that he's doing here. You Notice verse 10, and this is going to kind of get us into the passage here. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled builder, I laid a foundation. Right, That foundation that Paul is drawing our attention to as a church is the grace of God that he's given us in Jesus. God's presence, his goodness, his power, his desire to use us, and have us in His family. That—that's the grace that God gives us, that He then uses in us to build where He lives. So the main point of this passage, if you want to, like, how can I take notes and then check out? This is main point. Main point is we—we we must use God's grace to build God to build God's house. We must use God's grace to build God's house. Now. I would like for you to stay with me and to keep working through the passage so that we see what this means, because it's not just um, we use God's grace, okay, got God's grace, and then we kind of check out and let God do the work. Um, Actually, Paul was addressing in Corinth, right, where people had different motivations and agendas for how to build God's house. Some people were using certain kind of wisdom tools and BuzzFeed articles and all this stuff to build God's house, whereas God comes along and says, no, 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 I'm going to do this my way, and I want you to join me. I'm going to give you the grace to be a part of what I'm doing. So how do we build God's house? That's what the main point of this passage is. God built his house by giving us his grace so that we put his grace to work and we build God's house here. How do we do that? So I'm just going to say there's like three tools. We might call them tools, so to speak, or three um, contractor designs of what we're trying to accomplish, or how do we join God in building his house? Verses 10 and 11, we're going to pick up here. Verse 10 and 11, start looking at this together. How do we build God's house? First thing, be attentive to gospel foundations, right? Be attentive to gospel foundations. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else built upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid which is Jesus Christ. You see, that's where I'm, I'm getting this This take care, careful attention, be attentive to gospel foundations. Paul is saying, look, the way in which I built this church, the way in which we anybody builds a church, is we put Jesus at the center. That's what God's grace does. He comes in, he awakens our hearts to Jesus, and what's the foundation? It is Jesus Christ himself. But remember, if, you, if you've been paying attention, as we've kind of been working through 1 Corinthians, verse 10 according to the grace of God given to me that sounds a lot like verse 4 of chapter 1 where paul says i thank my god always for the grace of god and your life right god gives grace to people who have no right to have any claim upon god's god's power and who he is right all of us have no right to say god you owe me your grace and your presence and yet the way the gospel works is God comes in and he knocks on our hearts when we're like barricading it in. And he says, no, I want to move in here. I want you to be a part of my project. I want you to be in my family. And God moves in. He gives us his grace. And then some of us really mess it up. <laughs> Isn't that the nature of this series? Good news for bad Christians. Some of us really screw it up, don't we? We put it. We don't know how to use his grace well. And yet his grace comes in and it does not let go of us. He persists in using us. And Paul's saying, look, just like you, Corinthian church, which were, you know, basically a Jerry Springer show of a church. And just like me, God gives grace to accomplish what he is trying to do, which is exactly what we find in Jesus, right? Somebody who loves people who don't have their lives together, who are an absolute mess, who think too highly of themselves and people who think too lowly of themselves. He comes in and says, no, no, you are my family because of me. Right, that's the foundation, right? He says, verse 11, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. And I just want to draw your attention. He doesn't say, right, the foundation of the church must be that you hold everything true and exactly the same, right? You all have the same opinions about everything, and you hold the same perspectives on everything, right? right the foundations of the church is the person, of Jesus Christ himself, right? Not a political platform, not a systematic theology on your shelves. Those are great political platforms I can kind of do away with. Systematic theology, I'm, I'm all about that stuff, you know, but it is about Jesus Christ himself, the person of Jesus Christ, right? Getting to know him, the humility of what it was for him to walk with people um, who, had, who didn't have their lives together. Right? Can you imagine just the jarring perspective of Jesus Christ? This, this blew the minds of, the, of the, the, the pastors of the day, so to speak, that Jesus Christ would sit down with people who were embezzling money from their neighborhood, alongside prostitutes from their neighborhood, alongside the drug dealers of their neighborhood, alongside the congressmen and businessmen of the neighborhood, and Jesus had a smile on his face, and he loved every one of them. That's the Jesus... That the church is built upon. That's what it means when it says gospel foundations. This grace that does not make any sense at all, right? It's so it's such a type of grace that Paul says, according to the grace of God given to me. Now remember, Paul was witness to people being murdered for Jesus, right? He he, he held the, the 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 coats of people who were stoning people for loving Jesus, right? He was not a good guy, right? Paul was not. A, a, a guy that you would be like, hey, like, you know, on, on FBI's top 10, like, I want that guy to be my pastor, right? And yet God had, by his grace, changed him so that now Paul, What do you know? As he said, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation. He, he just feel like, does that feel a little arrogant to you? Like, man, like, who does Paul think that he is? We all know the story. we read our Bibles a little bit, or you can have somebody read it for you. Paul was not a good guy, and yet he says, by the grace of God, I laid a foundation like a skilled master builder. Sometimes, some of us have the perspective that God can never accomplish anything good through us. But you see the type of gospel that Paul's talking about? No, people who are the worst of the worst, who have no claim upon God's grace, are the ones that God uses, and he does, and they, they actually put his grace to work good, well, Right? I know some of you know, we we recently joined Acts 29. Some of you are aware of that. We just joined Acts 29 Network, churches who plant churches. And the way we did that is we went and did a, um, an assessment. Michelle and I flew down to, um, what was it, Richmond, Virginia? Right. It's all once you get lower than Boston, I don't care. Um, <laughs> but we were down there, and as a part of my assessment, one of the they were kind of picking up on this area in my life, and they were like, Jacob, is there anything that you're excellent at? I couldn't give him an answer. This is a perspective in my own life that I struggle with of seeing like God actually like uses me to do good things and like actually saying like Hey, I'm good at this." I don't know if you're like that, where you're kind of like ah, oh, you know, like I kind of get by. I read my Bible today or this week. Like I'm not like great at anything, but I'm like not like horrible at anything. I'm like okay. You guys, you know what Paul is giving us hope for here—that the gospel makes us into people who can be a part of God's mission to build His church and that his grace can work in you in such a way that you can be like Paul and say, yeah, I did a really good job at it. I did a really good job of learning how to care for God's people, to be a part of his mercy in our neighborhood. I did a really good job of learning how to become a pastor. Right? Lord willing, we're going to have more pastors in this church, and it's not just the Jacob Show, right? <laughs> Lord, God, God used me to become really good at explaining the gospel to kids, so that kids connect with who Jesus is. God helped me to become really good at building a church, being a part of a church that reaches and cares for the homeless and struggling in our neighborhood. Right? That's you in this passage here. Right, God can make you into that type of person, but it's not because of you. Remember the foundation. Verse 11, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid in Jesus Christ. Right, Jesus Christ Jesus Christ himself. Right? We, we, we can, just like I was saying in that, that picture of how I, I tend to not see how God can use me to do great things, um, we can have a, a distorted gospel, a gospel that tilts one way or the other. I don't know if uh, you've ever lived in a house where a portion of the house got built out that clearly was not on the foundations of the house. right? I, uh, I lived in the house in college, and um, first of all, this was a rat-infested, really bad place to live. <laughs> Like, but it was cheap rent, and I was able to live there. And you're, you're when you're 19, 20 years old, like you'll live. I mean, basically anywhere, right? Like in a trash can, right? And <laughs> this is basically that. And this house in the back, um, my my roommate lived in this kind of section in the back of the house. And I remember sitting in his in his room one day, and I realized I wasn't sitting like this. I was sitting like this. <laughs> I was like, Caleb, is your is your room tilted? He's like, Oh yeah, yeah. I have to kind of like budge up everything so that it like sits flat. <laughs> And I was like, dude, like you know, like if you sleep on a tilted bed, you'll get headaches, right? Just because of all the blood that rushes to your head during the night. I was like, dude, this is not okay, right? That that's where it is. Sometimes, like, it's not obvious at first, but you get these like these distortions in your soul that are not okay. Like in the way you, your your house gets built. Of like, there's something not right here. Where I'm not enjoying the grace of God. I'm there's something tilted in my soul. Right? This is why we have to go back. And study the full, whole Christ, the full and whole gospel regularly and consistently so that we don't get these distortions. And that's frankly why we have missional community groups and why we need each other because I, like, if I'm the pastor and I can get like, just, you know, this tilted dynamic in my own soul, that's why I need Jay and other guys in my life helping me kind of see the whole perspective of who Jesus is and what he's done for me. We all need that, right? We, so that's, that's why we have to always go back, and we constantly talk about, are you studying the gospel? Are you looking to understand who God is in the gospel? Are you understanding who Jesus is? Is that something you really would go back to? Because sometimes we kind of treat the gospel like, yep, I got it, um, Jesus died for my sins, grateful for that, now I want to move on to something else, right? Well, there's, there's ways to grow as a Christian, but Jesus Christ is, as Paul says here, always going to be the foundation. And the moment you begin to kind of take preferences and motives that are outside the foundation the room's going to feel a little tilted let me just throw out a recommendation I, I don't know if you guys are readers I have two copies of this book and for complimenting me on how um, nice my baldness looks today we'll, we'll go with we're, we're trying to find ways to compliment me right <laughs> complimenting on my head I have this book note to self by Joe Thorne the discipline of preaching to yourself this is this dynamic going back to the gospel understanding who Jesus is. But let me tell you about this book. This book is, so look, here's chapter 11, right? <laughs> it's a page and a half. I think you can do a page and a half, and he's got like 60 of them, where he just talks about this category and says, here's how the gospel redirects and shapes my thinking on this category. And he's, I don't know, whatever the, category, the chapters are here. Let me give you some precise numbers because I like to do that. There are 48, sorry, not 60, 48 chapters in this on how to preach the gospel yourself. I got two copies of them I want you to have. Or you could use podcasts. Joe Thorne does a podcast, great podcast. I enjoy it. If you do driving, listen, it's called Doctrine and Devotion. How do you get who Jesus is into your head a little bit more, day by day, drip by drip, so that we remember to think, this is what the gospel is, and this is how it shapes my life. Right. That's how we have to give careful attention, because we're gonna we're gonna kind of veer one way or the or the other. Yes, we want to read our Bibles. That's obviously I'm not saying don't read your Bibles, but how do we make sure, like Paul, that we have that we give attention to gospel foundations? Because when we begin to get off, that that kind of feeds into our life together as a church. We want to make sure that we are foundation, our foundation is a house are built on Jesus. All right, we're going to move on because I keep going there, but I want us to, to um, so remember to I've got two copies. First come first serve, um, after the service, not during the service. Second thing that we see here for how do we build God's house with God's grace? Be creative for eternal rewards be creative for eternal rewards. Verse 12 to 15. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day, uh, will disclose it, right? He's talking about when he's talking about the day, he's talking about that day, right? There are John Newton, um, he had the phrase, there are two days in my view, I have this day and that day, right? There is today and that's all we have and we know that that day's coming, we don't have tomorrow. That day will disclose because it will be relevant by revealed by fire, and the fire will test the work of each one, each one has done if the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward if anyone 's work is burned up, he will suffer loss though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire right so what Paul is talking about here he is still addressing Christians right and this is a crazy thing about what it means to be a part to be in Jesus. There is a way of, basically, Paul is saying, being a Christian, being a part of a church, and working, quote, for Jesus in a way that is actually not for Jesus and will not sur- not survive the final judgment, right? He is saying, there is a day where we all come before Jesus, and as a church, we will say, here's what we've done, here's what we've accomplished, and if it's not with the coda, by your grace, it's probably something that's going to be burned up and not survive it, which means that we won't receive the reward for it. Now, I don't know if, how many of you grew up in a Catholic background, but as I was reading through this and studying this passage, this is actually the, the only passage in the New Testament that's used to say, this is the doctrine of purgatory, right? I don't know if you've ever heard of purgatory, um, right? What is it? John, one of the John Wick movies is going to be named Purgatory, right? Um, but, I don't know, I wish it was. Sorry, not a comment. I Erase that. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I got like on a, on a little bent there. Um, purgatory is this doctrine that basically there's hell uh, purgatory, which is where people who trusted in Jesus, but aren't purified or cleaned enough go before they're able to get into heaven, right? It's basically like a car wash for your soul that can last forever or ever long um, until you get to go into heaven. And I just have to say, that's not what this passage is talking about right? This passage is still talking about people who, who come into Jesus' presence, who are delivered into His presence, who come and say, I, I love you. I've been a part of your work. But then Jesus comes and He puts the evaluation magnifier in their life and He realizes, yeah, but there were motivations and there were ways in which you did life in the church that were not about me. They were about you or some other agenda. And you know what the crazy thing is? This, this gospel still says those people were welcome. Right, so let's just be a little careful when we start going after other Christians and churches that are doing things differently than the we, we would do them. Because, yeah, we want to be critical and think about things. But just remember, they're still part of the family, right? They still will be with us in heaven. right? We, we want to have a good family reunion, right? Jesus is looking at us, though, and saying, evaluate your motives, right? It's not what they built per se. It's how people build. How are you using the grace of God to build? Are you, not, are you using the tools and motivations of the world? Or are you using the tools of grace? But the dynamic here that I think that strikes, out, strikes out to me most, here, verse 14, if the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. Is that not a crazy thought, that we get rewarded in heaven for what God's done through us? Like That's just not the way I think about things. That's, but that's the way Jesus thinks about things because when we preach through um, the book of Matthew, we saw a number of these ways in which Jesus um, talks about rewarding us. There's a few few uh, examples that I've, I've pulled up um, from the book of Matthew. Here, let's see. Matthew, uh, can we get those up? There we go. Matthew five eleven through twelve, blessed are are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad. Notice, for your reward is great in heaven. Right. So they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Right. This is not talking about when people are like writing nasty comments on your Facebook page because you're a Christian. This is talking about our brothers and sisters around the world who are suffering, and maybe you and your jobs at times suffering because you're holding to Christ rather than bowing to the preferences of the world, right? And he says, this is from the lips of Jesus, your reward is great in heaven. Matthew 6, again, the same sermon that Jesus is preaching, but when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will what? Reward you. And then Matthew 10, just another, the next sermon that Jesus preaches in the book of Matthew, and whoever gives, you one, gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. Jesus is all about heart motivations to reward us, right? One of the ways in which goals and motivations, like if you look at like the productivity stuff, the ways in which goals actually become like a part of our lives is when we list out what's the reward that we want for accomplishing this goal. Jesus is saying, the reward that you want is being with Jesus and receiving. You can't even imagine what Jesus has a reward for you. I'm hoping beachside property in heaven, like that would be great, especially on a day like today. Jesus has all these rewards laid up for us, for laying down our lives to serve him, to put his grace to work in the lives of people around us. Right? This is the crazy dynamic of the gospel. You are saved by grace, and grace has worked out in our lives in such a way that we're rewarded for grace, right? You, so let me just translate like that. You don't deserve to be a part of God's family. God uses you as a part of his family because he loves you, and then he rewards you for being a part of his family because he's a crazy God, right? That's the, that, the, the logic of the gospel does not make sense, right? It's not, oh, now I've earned it, now give it. That's not grace. But he rewards us for what he's done through us. Now, but why are we calling this category, be creative for eternal rewards"? that creative part? I want to draw your attention back to verse 12, because there's something we kind of passed over. We kind of look at this, we're like, okay, there's a shopping list here. If anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, we kind of read that, and we're kind of like, oh, okay, it's just like a general, like, I don't know how you build with precious stones, right? Like, that doesn't quite make sense. Actually, what Paul is doing here is he's drawing our attention to this whole kind of thread through the whole Old Testament called the temple, right? We all think about, like, a temple, and we're like, oh, that's like a big building, right? And they go and do stuff, secret religious stuff on the inside, no windows, nobody knows what happens, and they come out. No, the temple is God's presence, and it goes all the way back to Genesis 2. Genesis 2, I, I, here's where I'm, I'm not going to go through and read all the passages because for the sake of time, but Genesis 2... The, um, the, the Garden of Eden is described this way. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided, divided and became four rivers. The name of the first was Pishon, and the one that flowed around the whole land of Hilova, there uh, where there is gold, and the gold of that land is good. Onyx stone and precious stone are there. And the name of the second river is the Gihon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. Right, this picture of what goes on in Eden, right? And if you remember, um, Eden was the only vegan haven ever, right? <laughs> right? There, was no, there was no sacrificing of animals. It was trees with lots of great organic right? food. It was the whole foods before there was whole foods. Eden was fantastic, filled with all these lush trees and good fruit. And then he says, it says in about Genesis, gold and precious stones, all right, so have that in your mind, right? Like just put your place right now in your happy place of a garden in the, you know, in paradise with trees and fruit and gold and precious stones. And that is all that is lost with sin. But you know how the temple gets described then through the rest of the Old Testament? All right, put a lot of wood inside of it. Lots of cedar, really expensive wood put big posts and columns up in it, and then carve into that flowers and pomegranates and fruit, and then overlay it with gold and, and burn some incense so it smells really nice, and then have a basin of water out in front of it so it cleanses people as they go into it. Right? The temple gets described as a picture of Eden, which was lost, which is to say where God dwells, he renews and restores, and he's coming for you. So then when the church is described as now build, be creative, build God's house here, he is saying you are now the temple. What you're experiencing here at King's Cross Church is a picture, is a foretaste of the renewal of that renewed Eden that God is bringing. Right? See, there's a thread that we're kind of picking up on Here's a few threads to the Bible where it says God dwells, and it's lavish and extravagant, and he loves to bless, and it's good for us. Now, the church is the place where God dwells and renews and restores so that we get a foretaste of what it's like, right? Not that we're without sin, that we don't have broken lives and make broken, messed up choices in our lives, but this is a place where God dwells among us, and he accomplishes things to give us a picture of what heaven will be like, right? This is not only here in New Hampshire, but this is a part of, right, this is why we want uh, racial and ethnic diversity in the church. This is a part of why we're committed to justice in our neighborhoods. This is a part of why we're committed to the addiction dynamic in our neighborhood here. This is a part of why we want to help train our single parents to be faithful, our married couples to be faithful parents. This is why we want to be moving towards these areas for practical life because those are the areas that God has sat down at the table to bring renewal. There is a way the church is going to accomplish this where Jesus sits at the head of the table and it's different. I don't know about you, that, that stirs me. I want that. God, be a part of stirring our redemptive imagination, our, our, our creativity. So how do we join this? Ask the question, how has God gifted me with his grace so that I can put that grace to work for him? We we have a great relationship here. We just drop down this particulars here. We have a great relationship with here the folks here at the Hope Center. I know Keith and a number of the folks here. We love our relationship here. They would love for us to do anything that we think that will bless our neighborhood here. They'll give us space for it. You, you want to do an art project? You want to do um, some sort of... We're doing a board game thing, right? I don't know if you guys remember, saw the announcement of that. We're doing a board game night here with folks here. Um at the end of the month, I can't remember, March 28th or something like that, right? We, When we think about creativity, we think like, oh, do I have to like be Picasso and paint the ceiling? Like, well, that'd be cool. But like, I'm just thinking of like ways in which you kind of move towards people to give them a taste of renewing grace, restoring grace. How has God gifted you, right? Maybe you're really good at crafts. I am, I am. my My son, Owen, is like a craft freak. Like he loves crafts, right? Maybe you are really good at you know, helping people put their, like, taxes together or their budgets together. Maybe you're really good at helping people learn, like, tactile, blue-collar skills so they can get, like, a really good job. Maybe you're somebody who, who is good at thinking about schedules, and maybe you can come and help people think about how to put their schedules together so they can get to school and then get their degree and get a real good job, right? Maybe you're somebody that's really good at listening and hearing, and you just do a really good job of asking questions, how can how can you use that to be a vessel of grace for the people in your lives? Maybe here, maybe someplace else, so that they hear God has a listening ear for my problems, and He has a living word to to give me hope and help. Right. So I'm just going to give you a few examples. Think about how you can be creative to join what God is building here. Right. This is the creative way that God's released us into our neighborhood, so that. We can use if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stone, hay, or straw, right? They will receive a reward with Jesus. So don't just do it because you're like, hey, like I just want to be useful and I've got, you know, what, 100 some hours in a week and I got to use them. That's a good thing to do. But how can you use them so that you're rewarded when Jesus returns? Right? This is. This is, I think, a call for us to be creative in how we serve and love our neighbors. How has grace equipped you? And how can you put that grace to work? Here, your neighborhood, your work job, wherever you're at, so that you are building God's house, right? So we're talking about we use God's grace to build God's house, right? So we've talked about gospel being attentive tender gospel foundations. We've talked about being creative for eternal rewards. And now we're going to just kind of close up here, verses 16 and 17. Be confident in God's jealous presence. Verse 16, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroy God's, destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. Again, picking up on this temple language that we were just talking about, right? This is a very startling, startling set of verses. But I, I find it helpful that Paul starts to die. He says, Do you not know, right? Hey, remember, reminding you, just kind of checking in. I know you've heard this before, but let's just remind you God dwells here, right? This is where God lives, this is God's house. This is his place to give grace and mercy, right? And just so you know, uh, verse 16 and 17, the you, this is where our southern friends give us a word that we need, y'all, y'all are the temple of God, not you personally, not you, so don't take this and then like, this is about me, me, Jacob, I in the temple of God. No, this is about King's Cross or Hope Tabernacle, right? These, This congregation is the house of God. You as a as a group is the place where God lives, so that when we take an attendance number here, whatever it is, I don't know, you take the attendance here. It's always a plus one, right? You ever get a wedding invitation? And you're like you plus one, whatever it is. This the the church meeting here. There's always a plus one of the invisible Holy Spirit that dwells and sits in the seats with us. So right now, just I want you to put this. In, this is not just like a religious lecture where we're kind of talking about Jesus and singing a couple rah rah songs the Holy Spirit dwells here right now. Is that not an incredible thought? God's present with us right now. Maybe that startles you or causes you a little bit of some anxiety. But let me, let me show you how the Holy Spirit's here right now. If, if you have thought, I'm desperate. I'm just desperate to know that God knows me and loves me. I'm desperate for meaningful help. I want to know who God is. I need Jesus in my life. I want to be a part of what Jesus is about. God, I need your help for healing and hope for tomorrow. Those are not just thoughts that just chemically kind of come to the top of your brain. That is the Holy Spirit directing you to think, I need God, right? Those things come into your brain, into your heart, into your mouth because the Holy Spirit dwells here among us and is leading us where, right? We've talked about this before. The spotlight ministry of the Holy Spirit is to say, look to Jesus, right? So that's why the Holy Spirit is always directing us back to the foundation of the house, Jesus Christ himself. That is how we know the Holy Spirit is here right now, right? This isn't just kind of like some religious thing. That is the Holy Spirit dwelling in you, dwelling among us to direct us, to get more of Jesus. And just so that we're keeping our sobriety, our sober heads on straight. Verse 17, there are monsters in the land, right? <laughs> there are dragons, there are monsters, there are enemies that will come against us because kind of like when you're stirring up the the front yard trying to plant new seed, there is always rocks and nastiness that comes out, right? When you're stirring things up, there is an enemy. Verse 17, if anyone destroys God's temple, if they come after his temple, God will destroy him. You see, God is not some docile, passive grandfather on the couch in his house, right? That's not how God dwells here. He's a dad who brings out the guns and protects his family. I'm not giving, making a statement on weapons, by the way. <laughs> For those wondering, the Second Amendment, I'm not commenting on it. God protects His house. Right? You want you want to know how you make God your enemy? You undermine and attack His church. That's when you get God's bad side. He will destroy those people. Right? That is not a that is not to say like I'm not saying that to anybody here or anything like that. I'm just saying that's a a, a reality. But it's also a hopeful reality because many of us come in and we have severe dark dragons in our lives that come out of dark caves and will swipe at us personally and as a church. And just so you know, God takes it seriously. He protects people, which is to say, God's jealous to keep you in his family. He's jealous to have you in his family. He's jealous to protect you and to provide for you and to keep you whole and safe and protected. God will keep us. Right. This is not just a house. They I kind of like, ah, whatever, Airbnbs it for part of the year. God dwells here and lives here and protects here because he loves you. This is for us as a church. God graciously and personally protects what he starts by his grace. So as we're building as a church, I just want you to catch this movement of the passage, right? right? Paul's laying a foundation. Why? Because there was nothing in Corinth before. He's Encouraging them to build a church because there was nothing there before, and then it's on movement; it's moving so that it gets some attacks, some attacks and attention from uh, the enemy in the area. Why? Because God is going to continue to expand His house, right? So we've talked about this here. King's Cross exists, right? To love Jesus together, and our hope is that we plant ten churches with a hundred people in the lower, in the southern New Hampshire area, right? That's that's because we want to be a part of this passage here. We want you are, you know, whatever your gift set is, however you come this morning, God is inviting you to join that vision here because he wants to build out his house. There are houses for Jesus that do not yet exist that God is preparing to plant and start because you are here, right? We aren't just here so that we can get big enough so that we can kind of knock out some walls and accommodate more people. We want more houses elsewhere in Manchester, the southern New Hampshire area, because God is seeking to destroy the works of the enemy, to build a house where he can sit and dwell and smile upon people that have never heard of him. That's what Paul is telling us here, right? God, We must use God's grace to build God's house. So how do we do that? Remember, We pay attention to the gospel that saved us, and we remember this is who Jesus is. And then we get creative. We go to town with thinking about how God's grace has saved us and empowered us so we can join his mission. And then we're confident that the mission doesn't rest on how good we are. (laughs) It rests on who? God's jealous presence. Because he loves to use people like you, people like me, a church like this that doesn't have its act together. Because God wants to make his name and his grace Great. So we're going to do, actually, we're going to, we're going to close here. We're going to take the Lord's Supper together, and then we're going to actually spend some time praying together as a church. I don't know how you've been stirred, but we're going to take some time. I'll give some direction here in a few moments. But we're going to pray, God, do this in us so that we can put your grace to work to build your house here. Let's pray. Father, as you have worked in us, as you have used your grace to not only save us, Father, I pray that you would empower us by your Spirit who's here right now to join your grace in our lives so that we can build your house here and see your house expand. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. Please feel free to share or distribute this content, but do not charge for it or alter the content in any way without permission. King's Cross Church exists to treasure